Brian Billick. I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coaches Show podcast. Here we go. Well, Denny, we're at the quarter mark. Last week we talked about what a big game the fourth game was because of the fingerprint, the unmistakable fingerprint that you have as a team. Doesn't mean it can't change. Uh, but I think we saw that in, in week four, uh, particularly in the, the teams that are really good and stayed good and the ones that are bad that stay bad. Let's start with the good ones. Three teams are undefeated right now, the Falcons, the Texans, and Cardinals, and all come away with really good, solid wins, all but in the case of uh, the Falcons, a last-minute one. Yeah, it did. And, and I think that, you know, Houston is, is playing very well. They're doing everything very well. Atlanta's exciting. I think they might, that might be the most exciting team, at least. I mean, you know, they make big plays and, and Julio Jones makes these big plays in yesterday you know what I mean then Roddy White makes these big plays and Matt Ryan's at the with the arm with all those big plays so you know they're they're pretty exciting and Arizona is not just they're saying they're winning with defense but they're also winning with uh, with receiving this Andre Roberts you know this guy is very quick extremely uh, explosive and then they have been winning with defense and so they're a solid team so the three the three teams that are, are five four and oh are doing real well and for the first quarter, that's something that no one expected. Well, let, let's start with them one at a time. Atlanta, the thing that I think is so impressive, and we've both been a part of this, where sometimes a team really begins to believe based on, obviously, they're good. But all three phases, you saw some just a unique fumble by Cam Newton, where if he gets that first down, the game's over. Right. But the ball comes out. So your defense is held. You've gotten that break. They punt the ball beautifully down to the one-yard line, the two-yard line. Matt Ryan brings them back offensively. Big play to Roddy White. And then the, the field goal kicker delivers. So offense or defense delivers, offense delivers, special teams delivered in the most dramatic of circumstances. All of a sudden now, a team starts to feel, you know what, we're that team of destiny. And I think that's what Atlanta has going for itself right yeah, now. You really do. And, and there is no feeling like that because you're riding on a high that says – no matter what we do, it's going to grow away. Now, you feel you've earned it. You think you deserve it. Uh, you expect it to happen for you. But then it gets reinforced when those good things do happen. And they are an explosive team. They, everybody's got good players. But they, they, you can't ride that really, the wave the same way with all teams. Now, you go to the Texans. Now, they played Tennessee, and it was a, you know, a route 38-14. to 14. We've talked about for a while that Houston, their schedule is not the most difficult schedules. But at the end of the day, hey, that's their schedule. That's not their <laughs> fault, right? Uh, and, and they are a good football team. They have the most balance of probably anybody in the National Football League, offense, defense, uh, uh, running the ball on offense. Um, but And we talked about because of their division, they might put this away early. Arizona's, or excuse me, Atlanta's up 3-1. They're, right. they're up three games in a division, and we're just at the quarter mark because everybody else is sitting there with just the one win. So they, like Houston, have an opportunity to maybe continue to put this thing away early, which is a huge advantage. Well, yeah, and I, I like that about about Houston. I mean, they are playing great defense as, as well as anyone in the league. The high, highly rated. They have the explosiveness at running back. They got a one-two punch at running back in Foster and Tate. They've got the big plays, you know, of, of Andre Johnson. I mean, they everything about them looks good. And you hit on it. They also have a very likable schedule, which means that the 
teams that are the most difficult, they play at home. The teams that they can handle, they play on the road. Uh, the division that they're in is down with the exception of them. So they're not only just one of the better teams in the league, they are by far the best team in their division, which means they're not going to get pushed as long. And then, you know, who else you're playing in the league is a little bit down too. They're not facing, you know, that when they come and say, okay, you got Atlanta and somebody is is going to be 4-1 and one next week. And uh-uh-uh. Houston doesn't have those kind of teams on their schedule. The um, the the last one of the trifecta of unbeaten teams un, uh, or undefeated teams is is Arizona, and probably the one uh, for my for me and having seen them play, you probably have the biggest questions about whether they can sustain it. But they are playing great defense. They too won a game in an unlikely way um, against Miami. Now the the quality of the opponent, obviously, you take into a, to account a little bit. But they are playing such dynamic defense. Kevin Cobb, although the interception late hurt them, although I think he got betrayed just a little bit by Larry Fitzgerald. He thought he was going to step back into that corner, as you right. typically do on a sprint-out pass. You, 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 the, the, the receiver goes to the flat, nods up, and then comes back. I think he expected that from Larry Fitzgerald. It didn't happen. So the turnover uh, down in the end zone uh, almost cost them. But there again, they too, like a team of fate, the sequence of things that had to happen for Miami um, and, and the fumble and to put them in a position to come back and win the game, they too are feeling like that team of destiny. Well, they won a couple games purely on defense. And then yesterday they had some trouble with Miami's offense. Ryan Tannehill was outstanding, throwing the ball extremely well. They had a little trouble defensively, defending the pass. But then the offense came through for them. And I think they have the ability to make big plays with their offense. So, you know, their their schedule is, is also looking pretty good. They play a game Thursday night. We'll talk about a little bit later uh, against the Rams, who had a surprise win. But they're still the Rams. And I think that Arizona can jump off to a 5-0 start, which is unbelievable. Um, let's continue this thought. Let, let's go to that next level of team. Some interesting teams because two of them, San Francisco is at three and one, as are the Baltimore Ravens. And those teams could easily be four and oh. And I'm not sure that those two teams may not be the best team in their division or in their conferences. Yeah, you know what? They they just didn't play well. The You know, the uh, 49ers were making an East Coast swing and, they didn't play well. They lost to a surprisingly talented Minnesota team, really handed it to them. And they came back, of course, and played extremely well against the Jets. So they easily could be 4-0, but they didn't deserve it. And I think that's a good – you know, you have these these cautionary tales. Jim Harbaugh can use that as a tale. Hey, guys, when we start believing the hype is when we got our butts kicked, and now we're going to have to stay and, and stay the road. And I think that better off – being 3-1 than they would have been if they were 4-0 and everything was sort of falling in place for them. Yeah, they, they, uh, and, and nothing good comes from a loss, like we always say, but just because it's such a short season and it all means so much. But I agree with you 100%. Jim Harbaugh will be able to use that loss to Minnesota, a Minnesota team that we now see is pretty good. Well, they're, go on they'd the be next on your 3-1 and category. Exactly right, to be able to go on the road and and uh, win in Detroit. Those are back-to-back wins for them going on and playing a, a team that everybody thought was going to be pretty good that's at the opposite end of it, that's sitting there at one and three. But, yeah, the Minnesota Vikings, compared to the, to the 49ers and uh, Baltimore, are a team that you can feel good about, but there's still some questions about. They played 
you know, beautifully against the Lions with so much more physicality, and they're going to be able to draw. It, it's it's kind of like um, strength of scheduling that you get a bonus in college football in that BCS when someone you've beaten who's pretty good beats somebody else. Right. The more San Francisco plays well, the more we're going to look at those Vikings and say, you know what, they beat San Francisco. Maybe this team really is good. Sure, and I think that's what happens now. If they still have a, a second-year player, Christian Ponder, at quarterback. Uh, he hasn't thrown any interceptions, but he's not, you know, lighting it up. But they're playing a game pretty close to the vest. They're very good defensively, extremely physical defensively, running the ball pretty well. They've got the boost of having Adrian Peterson back when most people thought he'd be back in the middle of the season. He's back in the beginning of the season. This is a team that's a very good 3-1. and one. And their schedule is one that I think when you look at, at Minnesota um, – not to say that you know you you can't make too much of anybody's individual schedule, but when you look at their schedule coming up, they have Tennessee, Washington, so those are very winnable games. They then got Arizona, uh, but they're at home. And then they've got Tampa Bay. Then they've got Seattle. So we talk about momentum. Leslie Frazier has that Minnesota group where the momentum of the of who they're playing. Uh, that could be a big factor as well, you know, as you go forward. Last week we talked about how interesting it was at the quarter mark and how at the end we had a bunch of one and two teams and, and two and one teams that we knew would even out at two and two. And as we always say, well, you know, when you got that second win, what kind of two and two? It's like being 10 and six at the end of the season. Every coach will say, well, when did I win the 10 and when did I lose the six? Let's talk about the contrast between a two and two Patriot team, how they feel about themselves, versus a two and two New York Jet team and how they feel about themselves. That's what you call total contrast, simply because, you know, it was a big win for New England. You know, Buffalo, they had to have it. Uh, they After started a little losses. bit slow, mm-hmm. and they got it. You know, they had two losses, so they're 2-2, two and two and they feel good. Here we go. And then the Jets, which are 2-2 two and two and questioning everything, questioning their defense, questioning their toughness, questioning, of course, their quarterback situation, questioning their offensive productivity. They're not saying it, but they're questioning their offensive coordinator, who Tony Sperano, who's new. So that's, that's a 2-2 two and two that's at the bottom. And then you've got New England at the top. And then in between that, you've got a surprising 2-2 two and two team like the Rams. I right. would not think the Rams would be 2-2, two and two, you know, meaning that's a good. And then you wouldn't think the New York Giants would be 2-2. Two and two. That's a bad. You know, so there's this 2-2 two and two thing that now where do you go from here? And how much move do you make? Because there's a big difference between 3-2 and two and 2-3. Two and three. I'm interested in the psychology of a team like Seattle. Who and obviously well documented in terms of what happened last week and and you know they got the win now whether it was right or wrong against Green Bay and should have or shouldn't have been okay that's that's life in the NFL uh, but then they're on that emotional high then they go in and play the Rams a team in that division so it's a divisional game who on paper you got to figure well Rams are still kind of rebuilding and with Jeff Fisher's first year and lose on the road to the Rams. Now they're two and two after that emotional high. They've got to be on a little bit of a downer, and they now have to go across country and play at Carolina. And we know how West Coast right. teams going east and what a difficulty is. They then come back and play New England and San Francisco. Right. So <laughs> how they feel about their two and two coming off that that uh, unique win against Green Bay, then losing in the division, you wonder where their psyche is right, right now. And and they were they you know they were they were two and one with a steal. And then assume that they could beat the Rams, which would be three and one, and then go to Carolina and win to be four and one, 
and then come back with two tough games before they get to Arizona. See, at that time, they were thinking, okay, Arizona's going to be maybe 5-2, and two, and we're going to be 5-2, and two, and we still have to play Arizona twice. Right now, they're not feeling quite so, so good about it, and I think that makes a big difference when a team knows that we got lucky and now maybe we're not as good as we thought that we were. And that, that's going to be a, something that I think that they're going to have to look very carefully at going on the road. Meanwhile, Carolina's 1-3, and three, and they're really struggling. So right. a team is going to look and say, hey, uh, you know, Seattle is not really a 2-2 two and two team. And they're going to look at uh, Carolina and say, hey, we have to be able to beat Carolina. If, we, if we're going to win these other things, we've got to beat Carolina. Yeah, and, and, and to, to kind of finish the thought on it, that's why the NFL is so compelling. I mean, only 16 games. I mean, a loss in the NFL is the same as a five- or six-game losing streak in Major League Baseball, or in the NBA, excuse me. It's the same as a 10- or 11-game losing streak in Major League Baseball. Right. So that, that one game, I guess that's what's so compelling about the NFL to so many people. It's the swings of emotion and fortunes, and we've all been in those buildings. Oh, you yeah. Know? I mean, well, just, just think if Green Bay does not get very fortunate and pull it off and right. beat New Orleans. I right. mean, New Orleans not gets the first game. New Orleans is, is not an 0-4 team. They're much better than 0-14, yet they're 0-4. And Green Bay is much better than a one and three team, but they were a, a couple feet of a field goal to being one and three. And so I think that shows you Green Bay's two and two is a very positive two and two. And I think, again, as we said, the New York Jets is a very negative two and two. This is a 54 yarder. It would be the longest of Times' career. The ball is spotted, the kick is away, and the kick is. No good! They do win! They do win! Oh my goodness, what an ending to a football game! There's no way you can script this stuff. <laughs> you can't make this up. Let's let's go down some of these games because there were some compelling finishes. Obviously, Sunday night with the Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants came down to a nineteen seventeen win for the Eagles in in kind of a unique way. It was a defensive slugfest, and in the fourth quarter, things kind of took off. Uh, the way the game ended, uh, where Eli Manning takes his team the length of the team, the field to looks like it is going to be a win, and then to see Michael Vick kind of do the same thing with some unique calls, uh, uh, obviously by the officials, how quickly we're talking about the officials again, uh, and then the uh, two missed field goals after the freezing of the kicker. Let's let's First, let's talk about where Philadelphia is sitting here at three and one, how good do they feel at three and one and New York and the frustration of being two and two? Well, I think that Andy now can convince his team that, look, we didn't have any turnovers. We didn't. I think Michael Vick might have had just one sack and that might even been on a run. We didn't get Michael knocked all over the place. And we can win like this, you know, because they have been sort of reckless. They they won a couple games, but they were not the kind of games, you know, quarterback being sacked four times, all those other things. So I, I think that they have to find their formula to win. This is what it's going to take for us to win. A little more reliance on defense, a little more strategic. And when we throw the football, you know, uh, McCoy ran the ball very well. Go back more with that running game. Yeah, that was and, the big key. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, especially in the second half, because when they normally would be throwing every down, 
That's when Michael Vick starts getting sacked and gets hit, and that's when he has turnovers. They were able to take Shady McCoy and run that football, and I think that really helped him. It kept the New York Giants off the field and put more pressure on Eli, who's been a great comeback quarterback. Well, it took till the second half. Uh, uh, McCoy had 121 of his 123 yards rushing um, in the second half. Yeah. So and, and they've been after Andy for a while that you need to run the ball more, and that's the way to take pressure off Michael Vick. This game certainly would be a case study for that to say that's how you keep pressure off of Mike Vick, the hits off of Michael Vick, putting him in a position where he's going to make the errors. So, you know, th- th- those that want to make that point certainly can do so. You know, I, I don't believe in icing the kicker. You know, I, you get up there and you let him kick it, and, and if it's good, it's going to be good. If not, um, but can't play games I don't know who started that you know we gotta you know we gotta end that tradition let's talk about and it's everybody's talking about it and we always do the you know the icing of the kicker uh, just to remind everybody they uh, Andy Reid iced uh tines the kicker uh of a kick that he missed right which always now when you're icing them you're going well wait a minute what if we can I have that do-over can I have that pullback in fact in the game it looked like he was late Right. For my money, right. the timeout, he he made the timeout after the ball was snapped, so that should have been good uh, or not good. Came back and uh, uh, Tynes uh, had it dead on, but it was short this time. So at the end of the day, you can say it did work. Well, you know, again, the key to that icing, in theory, and when they do it, is right when the quarterback goes with his hands, he's ready, is when you have to call the timeout because it has to be right before he snaps it so that they kick it. And In other words, and then you hope, of course, that uh, – that uh, that the guys shook up, but as we know, that the statistics say, you know, whether you should or should not ice a guy. I I like it because I think I call it a do-over. A kicker kicks the ball, right. and he knows, okay, that was perfect, or he makes a mistake and says, I have to adjust it here. It's like in golf. I'm, I'm pretty good when I when I get those uh, friendly family rules when I get to do a lot of do-overs, and so you know, uh, it's it's one of those ones that worked out for for Andy. Uh, but I think for Arizona, Miami, it didn't work again. I think what Philbin has been twice when he's tried to ice guys right. when it didn't work. Yeah, and the numbers, again, not the statistics, because it doesn't matter if you fall whatever way you fall in the statistics have cost you the game, you were wrong. But the statistics we're given says that 81% of the time in that situation when a timeout is not called, that the field goal kicker makes it, that when a timeout is called, it drops to 76 Right. So, well, that's 5%. Right. Well, I'll use a timeout on a 5% chance. What the heck? Those are saying we ought to do away with it. I don't. I always like – I got to the point where I would stand next to the, uh, to the line judge and say, look, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, whatever histrionics I go through, I am not calling timeout, okay, <laughs> with the idea maybe they're peeking over at me and seeing Diddy. And as you and I both know, the holder and the kicker don't care. No. Now, the coaches in the booth and the coaches – the, the booth. They go nuts, yeah, you know, sure. with it. So if it, you're, you're adding some level of anxiety to them, then, uh, then so be it. You know, I, I apologize for my language because I was going to say we got our butt kicked, but really we, we got our ass kicked. And, and there's – there's no two ways, ins or outs uh, about it. Here, here's a recipe for getting your ass kicked. All right. Two for 13 on third down. That's 15%. Four turnovers. A block punt when they rush one guy. And giving up 245 yards rushing. How's that for a recipe? Well, let's, let's move on. Uh, let's, we talked earlier about it. Let's talk about the 49ers and the Jets. I think the thing that's most stunning 
to me is that beyond how well the 49ers are playing and the fact that, of course, Rex Ryan, someone I'm very familiar with, 245 yards rushing. That's the most Rex Ryan, a Rex Ryan defense has ever given up. And we both know nothing demoralizes or, or, or sucks the manhood out of a team more than they're running the ball down your throat and there is nothing you can do to stop it. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers, they look like a good old college team that are just going to, you know, we're going to run the ball and there's nothing you can do to stop us. Well, Harbaugh will get his dander up a little bit, and he did after losing to Minnesota. Remember, they did not go back. They didn't fly to Minnesota, go back to San Francisco, and then four days later fly back to New York for the game. They stopped off in Minneapolis and went to Youngstown, stayed in Youngstown. That's where their owners are from. Stayed in a hotel, worked out together, had a mini training camp because that's the advantage they had. I don't know if the league should even allow it honest with you because they were they were able to go there and now have training camp all over again and and I think Jim Harbaugh came out of that that hey guys we're a two and one team and we have to run the ball to win well they ran all these different packages meaning three tight ends and a fullback we're going to run the ball two tight ends and a back that's a, actually an offensive lineman we're going to run the ball and they really pounded the Jets and I think the Jets are ready for a conventional game meaning they're going to run on one uh, pass on another, play pass, go drop back. That wasn't any of that. They really came out pounding him, and I think that really put hurting on him. Now, the other thing that does with your team, guys that you think are pretty tough players look at each other, this guy's tough, this guy's tough, that guy's tough. When a team's pounding you like that, none of your players seem to be as tough as you remember them being. And I think that's really it's a little bit demoralizing, that, that who's going to stand up to the bully? Well, exactly there was right. nobody yesterday from the Jets that were able to stand up to the bully. And that you used just the right word. And, and I mean this in a complimentary way. I've, I've worked with Rex for years, and Rex likes the bully image. You yeah. want your defense to be a bully, right? We want <laughs> certainly when we uh, with that 2000 uh, uh, group that I had in Baltimore, we were a bunch of bullies and we could follow through with it. And there's nothing you could do about it. But you're right. How do you how do you deal with the bully? You go up and you punch him in the nose. Right. And, and all of a sudden you find out that they're not as big a bully. And that's exactly and there's not a better team equipped to do just that than the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, well, let's let's talk about the Jets a little bit. We talked about coming into the season that my concern was that they still don't have that pass rusher. Uh, coming off the edge, so that Rex has got to dial up those well-known pressures of four, uh, five, six, seven guys. Uh, Quentin Copples, the guy they drafted, has been a major disappointment. They thought he was going to be that singular guy in that pass rush, pass rush situation. Has not materialized. They're now down. Obviously, Darrell Rivas. Uh, they just signed Aaron Berry. Uh, who was let go from from Kansas City because of awesome off the field issues? Out of almost a desperation, we've got to get back to having those that secondary that can match up because we have to bring that fifth and sixth guy to get pressure. Otherwise, we can't get home with it, uh, and now have to build that box even more to stop the run because we can't do it with just a traditional seven man front. So that that's the problems on defense that that uh, New York has to deal with, but on offense. That was about as anemic a performance as we've seen, you know, with the Sanchez and their inability to run the ball. That was a big part of it as well. Well, it was, and I think that, you know, we know they've got a new offensive coordinator in t- Tony Sperano. Uh, have they been clicking offensively? They've been okay, but but I don't think they've – when you compare it to some of this high-powered offense that's going on right now with some of these teams, they most assuredly have not been in that category. And Matt Sanchez is not one of the higher-rated quarterbacks in the league. That somebody's got these higher-rated quarterbacks. Mark Sanchez is is not one of them. Uh, then yesterday's game was 
the worst. That's when really nothing worked. They didn't get inside the red zone. Uh, they weren't in position to score. Uh, you know, they uh, have seem to be having a little bit of trouble with the wide receiving core, being healthy enough and and being athletic enough to, to make these kind of plays. And they've got Tebow sitting. I don't know how many Tim Tebow played yesterday, but but uh, that, of course, became the question. Well, will Tim Tebow help this offense be more productive? And, and the answer to me would be, well, does he have the same package and run the same plays as Mark Sanchez? If he does, then he probably would have about the same amount of success. If he's got a whole different set, a new set of package, and a whole new running game, and a, and a whole new approach to the game, then if you want Tim Tebow, you better start practicing Tim Tebow. And I don't think it's uh, time to, to to do it. They are only two and two now. We said they are right. two and yeah, two. I mean, it's not end, a pretty two and two. And that's what Rex will hang his early. hat on. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Well, and that leads us to the question then. At two and two, do you make a change? Do, do you say, look, we are we, we got to do something disparate here? Rex Ryan came out after the game in a very emotional way, said, let me tell you the recipe for a butt whooping, and went through the lack of completion percentage, lack of third down, the fact that they got 245 yards put up on them. You know, one thing after the other, uh, got, a, got a punt blocked with, as he said, with a one-man rush, which was an emotional <laughs> response to it. So um, do you need to take that dramatic step? And as we know, that's dramatic. You, there's no going back now. If you make that change, you, there, there's, you know, unless it's due to injury, you, you don't go back. No. You know what? I don't think you make it now, but, uh, you know, the point is is that the, everyone has to accept responsibility. Now, they gave them – they didn't do film today. Today's Monday. It's normally film day, media day, walk through practice. He felt, hey, I don't want them to have to worry about that. Well, we know part of it was so there was no media day. Media day would have been a little bit of a buzz today in the New York Jets training facility. And I, and I think by the players not being there, at least they bought a day on not having to worry about, you know, Sanchez versus – but you knew that would be the case. You, you know, you got Tebow. Now what's going to have to happen? You better win, or you're going to have a quarterback controversy that really starts brewing. And right now, it's brewing. Yeah, and, and and you know, as we do here, you look forward. You have to, you know, it's always one game at a time. Okay, but but you that approach also says you better stick your head up at the quarter mark and see what you're about. They now play host to on Monday night the Houston Texans a team we've already talked about that may be the best team in the AFC that has the best balance of any team we've seen, has the ability to run the ball. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, Matt Schaub is obviously his ability to go to an Andre Johnson, get the ball down the field. They too are playing very good defense. Um, so, you know, this is, this is a challenge right now for the New York Jets, and, and they're going to do it at home in front of a national audience on Monday night. Yeah, and and I think the problem with playing against Houston is Houston, their style of defense led by by Wade Phillips is most difficult to throw against. I mean, they play a very patient cover two. They have the ability to put pressure. So if you can't run against that cover two when they have seven guys in the box, you really are not going to be able to pass against them. Not a good team to want to play when you're struggling with your offensive identity. Uh, and I've got to I've got to mention a player on Houston's defense, J.J. Watt. Who, who kind of an unheralded rookie when he came in. But, boy, the, I don't know that there's a more impressive defensive lineman. His ability to knock down balls, impact the game. Of course, Houston lost Mario Williams, and everybody thought, what's this going to mean? But J.J. Watt, I've seen him uh, uh, on film for a couple games now, and, boy, what an impressive year he is having. Well, let's transition to a game I had. I had Minnesota Detroit, and, and I bring that up because you talk about the style of play. The thing that jumped out at me with Minnesota and Detroit 
We've already talked about how impressive it was that Minnesota beating San Francisco, then going on the road. They hadn't won an NFC North game in 11 games. Uh, but to go on the road and, and to beat a Detroit Lion team. And what jumped out at me was just what you were talking about. Detroit, you sit in a passive, two-deep zone. St. Louis did it when they opened up against him. You saw it last week against Tennessee, where on 92 snaps, Tennessee played a soft, two-deep zone the whole game. Uh, Minnesota did the same thing, sat in a passive shell. And, and as one-dimensional as Detroit is, there was nothing Detroit could do. It was, okay, we're going to see if you can go 8 and 10 plays. We're going <laughs> to let you run the ball. You know, uh, Michael Shore had a big 100-yard game against Tennessee, comes back. We're going to let you dink and dunk. We'll let you hit Larry, uh, or uh, Calvin Johnson on some underneath stuff. We're going to let you do it at five or six yards. Can you go 8, 10, eight, ten plays and score? And they couldn't. And, and the reason they can't do it is it's difficult to do that for 80 yards. You need field position. You play the field position game. The 49ers are relying on a running game with Adrian Peterson. We mentioned it before. They're not throwing the ball that often with Christian Parner, which – which is good for them. They throw the ball less than 25 times as to their advantage. And then what happens is you have to be methodical, and Detroit is not methodical. They got into that habit last year of being a big play team. They thought those big plays would come in bunches in for them last year. They did. Matthew Stafford threw for a ton of yardage last year in passing offense, and now this year it's not going on so easily. Yeah, and, and, and again, it brings us back to, you know, the strength of these teams right now. And in the NFC um, North, uh, Minnesota is surprisingly, because I think most people came in, didn't think Minnesota would, you know, when you talk about Green Bay, you talk about Chicago, you talk about Detroit, it was kind of like, oh, these three are going to battle it out. Maybe you have two teams from the division going to the playoffs. Minnesota's an afterthought, but they're they're right there, obviously in the thick of it and on top. And, and with a Green Bay team that, Feels pretty good about two and two because they still feel like one got robbed from them. Not that that asterisk is going to carry anyway going forward. Let's talk about that game because they too that came down to a last minute win against a, a then struggling and still struggling zero and three now zero and four New Orleans Saint team and and certainly it was a good win. But Drew Brees put up. 446 yards and three touchdowns against that defense. Yeah, and Drew played very well, but he can't do it by yourself. You really can't. Uh, they're struggling a little bit defensively. You know, they're just so undisciplined, in my opinion, in the secondary. I mean, the way they give up plays, the way they give up yardage, the way they have pass interference and stuff, I think it makes it very difficult. But, you know, Green Bay got a big win at home. They needed that when I can't imagine that team being 1-3, and three, but they were, you know, within a whisker. Uh, of being one and three. And again, it shows you, you know, the, the games, the good games that are being played. And if you are, you know, if you let's say if you've got a fairly easy schedule, you know, in contrast to the Saints, the Saints don't have an easy schedule at all. They got a very difficult schedule. Well, they got San Diego coming this week. They <laughs> got to go to Tampa in the division at Denver, and Peyton Manning sure looked good the other day. Then they got Philadelphia and, and uh, Atlanta. Yeah, now that's that's a rough schedule. And, you know, the Charger game, the Chargers can do some things. I mean, they, they – uh, they will be able to score points. That's, that's what they've done. When they have not turned the ball over, when Phillip Rivers has not forced things, then they should be able to go into New Orleans and, and play hard. Now, New Orleans is due. They're going to win sometime. Now, whether they win against uh, the Chargers this week or whether they get a win the next week, but uh, they're a good team. They're a fabulous team that's 0-4. So they have that fabulous potential, at least, to be a better team, even though they are 0-4. 
Uh, and you're on it because you, you live in San Diego, and I know you follow it closely. Um, I, I don't know what to make of the San Diego team. Well, they're 3-1. and one. <laughs> They're one of those 3-1 and one teams. So, hey, at the end of the day, you're, you've said it many, many times, and I learned it from you. You know, you are what your record is. You know, there's no hiding from that. Well, just like we talked about Philadelphia being 3-1, and one, San Diego's 3-1. and one. At the and end of the day, they're 3-1. There, three and there one. is. And I would say their 3-1 and one is not even as, as – uh, Lacking a little bit, even as uh, as Philadelphia, Philadelphia itself has been fortunate. San Diego had an easy schedule. <laughs> they had this boy. What a nice, juicy schedule that they have lined up. And when they were sitting two and zero, they went and played Atlanta. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, did they figure out real fast. Okay, we're not we're not in the top eight teams, but how bad are we? Said, so, well, then we had Kansas City. They went to Kansas City. Kansas City had six turnovers, just handed it to them. And so they're three and one, but it, it's not it's not as pretty a three and one. So the challenge for them will be is to make sure that. That, that New Orleans doesn't get their first win. On paper, New Orleans could probably win this ballgame. This is when they can win. However, uh, the Chargers are a solid team, not a great team. Uh, they play pretty good defense. They have not always been a good protection team. They still have some injuries in the offensive line, but Phillip Rivers always comes to play, an extremely competitive guy. And, of course, that's where Drew Brees broke into the game. The Chargers drafted Drew Brees in the second round, let him go as an unrestricted free agent because they drafted Phillip Rivers. So anytime Rivers goes up against Drew Brees, Drew Brees still lives in San Diego. It's always a great matchup. So that will be fireworks, and it will be a television fireworks game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let, let's go on to uh, a team, a two, another two-and-two two team. We talked about New England and Buffalo. I'm on the flip side, Buffalo – now, keep in mind, Buffalo hasn't been in the playoffs this century. Okay, <laughs> that sounds a little catty to say it that way. They spent a ton of money in signing Mario Williams. They gave a good chunk of money after just a couple games into Fitzpatrick, their quarterback. Uh, they're up in the third quarter, 21-14, and lose 52-28 to to Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. That uh, that's that's going to that's going to linger a while. Well, it is. I, you know what they they really. I mean, you know they they also uh, had Merriman. They thought Merriman would be the answer, and 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 he wasn't. They wound up cutting him in training camp. They I think they make a lot of jump decisions. You know, giving Fitzpatrick the big money. You know, I mean, something looks good, and they boom, they 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 do it. They jump on it, and and I'm not sure how clearly they thought out Fitzpatrick. Is is this the guy that's in? Do you think he's in the top? Eight quarterbacks in NFL? Do you think he's in the top 14 quarterbacks in NFL? Yeah. Because he got a contract that was pretty good. And so I, I just think that uh, they somewhere along the line, you know, they've got to try to uh, try to make that comeback. And I don't know who they have this week. They play. Let me look here. I've, I've got to get my uh, uh, schedule up here a little bit. They, they, you know, obviously being in the AFC East, but they come, they've got, <laughs> okay, <laughs> no problem. They're at San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they're at Arizona. Okay. You know, and again, East going to West is right. a little easier, but you talk about, you know, uh, Fitzpatrick had better than 350 yards thrown and at four TDs, but he also had four interceptions. Right. Well, wait till you see the San Francisco defense yeah. and then have to play the Arizona Cardinal defense. I wonder if they're going to stay out west because right. they have back-to-back West Coast games. That's a tall order. 
Yeah, it, it really is. And I, I think that, you know, Arizona's flying. I don't know what it's going to look like once they, you know, they, they start. They have to play San Francisco twice. They've got to play Seattle twice just in their division. And people right now are saying, hey, the AFC West looks pretty good. They'll get one taste of it this week against the Rams. I think they'll handle the Rams both times. But it's it's going to be interesting. So, you know, I, I just think that the league is, is, is it's exciting where it's at right now. The first quarter, we, we said before, now with four games in, you know, things are going to start happening and uh it's a big difference between three and two and two and three what do we make of new england uh rushing for better than 200 yards and had two backs that were over 100 yards apiece that's bill belichick making sure that people recognize that they can run the ball i mean when when you get going like that and then buffalo is not going to stop you from doing anything then what do we want to do we know we can always pass we have to run the football, and we've got to show that we can run the football. We have to come out of this believing that we, through our choice and our will, we can run the football when we want to, and that's what Bill Belichick was able to prove. They uh, they play the Jets in two weeks on the 21st of October. I'm going to be very interested to see not just the outcome of the game, but see what that game plan is given the struggles that the New England or the New York Jets have had. Well, the Jets are going to be one day shy in preparation and, you know, that will be the one discussion that will be more important than even Tom Brady, which is if the Jets don't win this week, you know, is that when Tim Tebow becomes the most well-known quarterback on the field in the Jets versus New England? Um, let's talk about the Thursday night matchup um, here on the NFL Network. It's the Cardinals at the Rams. Let's talk about these two teams. You mentioned it earlier, I think. Most people would be a little surprised at thinking that the Rams were 2-2, two and two, had a couple real solid wins. Um, we've already talked about the Cardinals and the combination of, of what they bring in terms of great defense. Still waiting to see whether offensively they can piece it together. I'm going to be interested to see how the Rams approach the Cardinals. Sam Bradford, he really only has one receiver in Danny Amendola. Um, we've already talked about how good the Cardinals, the pressure the Cardinals can bring with Calais Campbell, Darnell Dockett inside. They'll get Adrian Wilson, someone you're very familiar with, that just comes blasting up the middle, just ran over a couple backs uh, uh, this last weekend to get sacks and pressures that were an impact on the game. Uh, uh, Patrick Peterson at corner on the outside. If I'm if I'm uh, the Rams, or if I'm the Cardinals, I'm going to do uh, uh, I'm going to put Patrick Peterson on Danny Amendola. Know that okay, the one guy you can go to, he is shut down. Right. I like Danny Amendola, but I don't think he's going to match up against Patrick Peterson. How are you going to hold up? How are the Rams going to hold up under the pressure that they're going to see from Arizona? Right. Well, I think and this is a good chance for the rest of the country to see, you know, these two AFC or NFC West teams because their familiarity is is not really there. Uh, this is a chance for Arizona to put some distance. I mean, they can jump out with Seattle losing last week at two and two. If they can jump up to five and zero, oh, then that gives them a chance that now they don't have to be, you know. 13 and 3 or 14 and 2 that they can roll in there and have a good solid 12 and 4 and go with some momentum into the playoffs. Uh you know now but the the Rams it's a different Rams, you know with with Jeff Fisher as a coach. I thought they played a pretty heroic game last week and and putting that sting on Seattle. I didn't expect that to happen and so this week is going to come down to can Bradford not have the turnovers. I mean, he he has uh to realize the pressure he's going to get. And this is one where, you know, they got to run the ball. Steven Jackson, I'm not sure. You know, we know he's always banged up. He takes a beating with his style of running. But they could use him to help in, on a short week, you know, coming off a win and then having really two days of Thursday preparation. I mean, it's like, okay, play the game. 
uh, rest from the game. Don't bother looking at the video. Practice one day for the game. Get on a plane or get ready for the game on Wednesday and play the game on Thursday. The Thursday night game is interesting. Yeah, and for the Cardinals, what uh, you talk about the timing of this type of thing. They've got this Thursday night game, uh, which gives them the extra rest. And, and then they've got Buffalo. Uh, then they've got they're at Minnesota. Then they then's the big game. That's the San Francisco 49ers on a Monday night. So I like the timing of it. Not saying that Buffalo can't beat them. Certainly uh, Arizona going east uh, has shown that they can. Or excuse me, Buffalo is at Arizona. At Minnesota is going to be a challenge for them, but I think they'll match up pretty good that way. Um, and we got to remember, as it stands right now, they're a game ahead of San Francisco. We're talking about how good San Francisco is. We've spent a big chunk of this show talking about how good they are. They're actually in second place behind these Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, because of that loss at Minnesota, and that's the same Minnesota that Arizona's going to play. Yeah. We, we, we have to talk about uh, uh, Chuck Pagano, the Indianapolis Colts, for those that have not heard. Chuck has been diagnosed with uh, a form of leukemia. Uh, he's uh, stepped aside as the head coach for an indeterminate amount of time. They say four to six weeks. Could be for the entire season. Bruce Arians will be the head coach. It's a time for us, obviously, to talk a little bit about it's hard in the middle of the season. It's so all-consuming. But keeping the right priorities and, and the demands this game has on you as a coach and your family and uh, something like this is just it, it puts everything in perspective for all of us. It, it really does. And I, I think that uh, what, you know, Chuck has done is, you know, getting his opportunity uh, is important to him. It always has been. He's been a career coach, uh, kind of a, just one of those guys that really got in and grinded and grinded and grinded. And so now to get hit with uh, with leukemia, and the good thing is, what I understand is they caught it fairly early. Yes. And aggressive. It's not like it happened and now we're going to do something later. We're going to do something now. And so I'm hoping that all signs point to a real positive uh, recovery. Let, let's talk about if we can, I have that game this weekend where Green Bay goes into Indianapolis. Let's talk about now as coaches to put in that un- unthinkable situation what Bruce Arians does and what this team does dealing with obviously the emotional loss of its coach short term or long term right now, at least the long term being the end of the year, uh, and and what that a mental approach is. Certainly you can try to draw on that emotion and try to rally the guys around, okay, we're going to do this for Chuck. We're going to show, we're going to implement the plan that we know Chuck has put into place, and we're going to make him proud of us. Well, I think the big thing, that's part of it. The other big part of it is, though, that we're lucky to be healthy and that and yeah. that uh, what, what Chuck would do, Chuck would do anything to be healthy for himself and for his family and for his life and for his future and all those other things. And so we should not take our health for granted. We should not take our situation or our circumstances for granted. And I think that can help a team you know really step up and play you know like hey guys you know we we've got a lot to be uh, thankful for we got a lot of pride going into this uh this is what chuck has done this is what he's all about there's what he's doing he's on the mend and uh you know it's up to us now to go out and prove that we are worthy of being nfl players um let's finish i want to finish on a quick we did it on our coaches show uh and and we'll just touch base on it here real quickly um it's a silly thing to do but why not it's the quarter mark let's talk about who we would give as coach of the quarter mark 
We're going to talk about the rookie of the quarter, Mark, and then the offensive and defensive player of the quarter, Mark. I'll start out coach of the quarter, Mark. We already talked about Leslie Frazier. I think for no other reason. Yeah, you could go to the 4-0 and teams, and very legitimately, each of those guys deserves to be talked about in that capacity. But I think Leslie Frazier on a team that just not much was expected, for them to be sitting here at 3-1, and I think Leslie Frazier should get a lot of credit for what he's done with this 3-1 and Viking team. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I agree with you. I like Gary Kubiak, Houston. I mean, it, it's not just that they're 4-0. It's just that they're a dominant team. He had the guts to hire Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator. He is the offensive coordinator per se. And, and I think with Wade and defense, they've got a pretty good one-two package. Uh, for rookie of the year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with the Vikings, uh, kind of a Viking-centric theme here. Matt Khalil, their first-round draft choice at the left tackle. Saw him this last weekend against those wide ends in Detroit. Cliff Averill, Vandenbosch coming off the edge. He held up very, very well. And, and his athleticism would you know, lend itself to that without a lot of help. And obviously a big part of what the Vikings were able to do. So I'm going to kind of go off the grid there and talk about a, a, a tackle as maybe the offensive player of the quarter year. Right. Well, you know, when those guys that have done well, that's been great. I like Maurice Claiborne, the LSU cornerback with Dallas. I mean, we knew that Dallas uh, last year could do a lot of things well, but one of the things they couldn't do well was cover people. Right. You know, and they made up their mind that we've got to go get some corners that can cover. And Maurice is a pure cover guy. I think he will give Dallas an opportunity to get better defensively because now he can shut people down. I'm going to stay with that theme for my defensive player of the quarter part of the year with Patrick Peterson from Arizona. He's a big part of a la, I don't know if you can put him in the Darrell Rivas category, but close. This guy, not only the impact as a secondary, but I mean special teams, everything about Patrick Peterson. But uh, he's going to put, they're going to put him, if you've got a top receiver, they're going to put Patrick Peterson on that guy. They can put that challenge on that guy, and so far he has stepped up to it. Well, he's got incredible speed and quickness. I'll go with the Patrick also, Patrick Willis, linebacker, 49ers. I mean, the 49ers, when they run it, they pound it. They have to have that physical style on defense. Patrick Willis gives him that physical style. He can make plays. He can intercept passes. He can make hits. And he's a true leader of a 49er defense that's one of the best in the National Football League. Offensive player, obviously, you got you, you can't help but go to the quarterbacks. It's cliche. We'll do it. I think Matt Ryan at 4-0 for the Arizona uh, – or, excuse me, the Atlanta Falcons. And, and not only the numbers he's putting up the way he did it. I mean, backed up on the one-yard line to take his team. He, I believe, has had more fourth-quarter comebacks than any quarterback in the league since 2008. That tells you something about this man and, uh, and is a huge part, obviously, of why the Atlanta Falcons are 4-0. Well, I tell you what, you can't win by yourself. I'll go with Drew Brees. Wow. They are 0-4. <laughs> yes, they are. But Drew Brees is playing extremely well. The only time he hasn't played well when he's tried to do even way more than what he could do. He's thrown for a ton of yardage. He's pushing hard. They're coming in closer, trying to win. They're not quite there. He still believes that they can make some impact later on. I agree with him. I'll go with Drew Brees. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, I want to hear from you at Coach Billick. You can tweet me. Let me know what subjects you want Denny and I to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coaches Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 Eastern. Thanks for listening, everyone.